Good morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. My name is Tom Short. So glad to have you along with us today as we talk about the Word of God. Get into it. Allowed to change our life. Although we've been focusing here today on the uh, the last three weeks on this first chapter of Genesis, is it reliable? And where what is our origin? Where did the universe come from? Where did the earth come from? Where did we come from? Where did the animals come from? Where did the seas come from? Is Genesis chapter 1 reliable? Can we trust it or not? We've been looking at why we should trust it, and today I'd like to talk about some of the things related to dating, dating of the earth. Scientists speak with great conviction, great authority about this being a billion years old, that being three, four hundred million years old. If you've ever been around them, it's just assumed, it's never questioned, it's talked about. And yet, is it really true? Is it reliable? Can we count on it? Interestingly, I I was at a presentation once where uh, a a geologist was telling me, you know, this rock's 300 million years old, where it's from, that's 50 million years old, where it's from, and on and on. And after the presentation, we were just kind of chit-chatting, and I asked him, have you ever dated a rock yourself? And he kind of laughed. He said, oh, no, no, no. It's not really that reliable after all. I almost fell over. He'd just given us a presentation with all, speaking with great confidence. He never told us in the presentation it's not reliable, but I'm going to tell you why it's not reliable itself. And I've got, uh, uh, first of all, I want to start, we're going to talk about rocks today, but the same assumptions relate to carbon-14. Now, often when I ask students, you know, why they believe in an old earth or why they don't believe in Genesis, they all say carbon-14 dating. Well, carbon-14 only dates things that were alive. And, and, and so it doesn't deal with things like a rock or a, or a uh, fossil in a rock or something of this nature. It deals with, you know, if you date a piece of wood or, uh, or if you something that was once living. I have here in my hand some soy seeds, soybean seeds. These were actually grown by a friend of mine who was conducting some experiments. They were grown in 2008. He harvested them and immediately sent them off to a laboratory to be tested for how old they were. The, the, the answer came back. They were between 7,800 years old and 8,500 years old. Well, they were just off by about 8,000 years. They were off by a magnet. You know, they, they were only a couple weeks old. And they came back with a date of, of around 8,000 years. Why? Well, we're going to talk about how these, whether they're carbon-14 or whether they're rocks, how they're dated and see some mistakes and some problems that can come here. You ready? First of all, how's this half-life thing work? How do they date? How do they come up with? This is illustrated, and I want to thank my friends at Genesis Apologetics for this illustration. A great website, by the way, genesisapologetics.com. This illustrates the half-life of potassium, which, which decays into argon. If you can see here, you've got, like, say you have a 1,000 potassium, K is for the potassium, the chemical symbol for potassium, and it decays to argon. You have 1,000 potassium, zero argon. You would assume that the, the specimen you're dating, the rock, is it just brand new. It's just foreign. But if, you, if it decays to the point where, it, where what you see in there is 500 potassium and 500 argon, it's a one-to-one ratio, and you would assume that it had decayed, half of the, the, the half-life of the potassium had decayed into the argon. The parent element, potassium, to the daughter element, 
argon. And so you would assume it took it took 1.3 billion years for that to happen because the half-life of potassium is 1.3 billion years. You go down to the illustration at the bottom right, if you, now you have 250 potassium and 750 argon, you would assume that it's it, the half-life has gone twice. So it's now it, the first half-life was 1.3 billion. The second would this would relate to this would imply that the rock was 2.6 billion years old. And if you have it, the half-life decay once again, so you have now 125 potassium and 875 argon, then it's the half-life, a third half-life is gone, and you would assume it is now 3.9 billion years old. So each time as the half-life would represent, in this case, with this element, 1.3 billion years, and this rock would be considered 3.9 billion years old if you found it with the the uh, composition found in the bottom left corner. Is that Does that work? Can you trust that? Well, let's look at some assumptions it has, and these assumptions really are are interesting and they're, they, they challenge the reliability of that. Number one assumption is that you know the original ratio of the parent to the daughter isotopes. In other words, you know back here in this top left that it, the original rock had 100,000, uh, or excuse me, that if it had 1,000 uh, uh, isotopes in it and 1,000 potassium and zero argon, you assume that was the original. That's a big assumption. You can't make that assumption. That's the reason that, that this um, carbon-14 in here, it was assumed that there was a, the amount of carbon-14 in it. Well, excuse me, that's not on that one. I'm, pardon me on that. Excuse me, I was thrown on that one. I want to go to Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens erupted as a volcano in 1980. And it laid, the, the original picture I had here on the thumbnail of my YouTube was someone standing in the canyon formed at Mount St. Helens from all this volcanic rock was formed in 1980. They took some of that rock and sent it to a laboratory to be tested. Dates came back anywhere from 350,000 years to 2.8 million years old that the rock was. Well, the rock was only a few years old. The rock had formed in 1980. These tests were done in the mid-80s, only a few years old, and there was off dramatically. Why? Because they assumed that the original rock had 100% of the parent isotope and zero of the daughter isotope, and you can't make that assumption. Do you realize that even though we're told this about rocks all the time, there's never been a rock, never once, a rock that we knew the original composition of it. We, we knew it was formed. We knew the year in which that rock was formed. Never once has a rock been tested that the test date they gave us was the same as the year we know the rock was formed. If we can't know that about rocks when we know when they're formed, how can we know that about rocks when we don't know when they were formed? This whole method is untestable. It is, it, it, you can't test it because we don't know when those older rocks originally formed, and the younger ones, we know it doesn't work. Why? Because, number one, we don't know the original composition. Number two, we don't know if the rock was maintained in a closed system. In other words, the rock could have been contaminated by these isotopes. There could have been more in the potassium argon, could have been more argon, uh, put in it less argon there could have been it could have been contaminated by other potassium other argon 
Number three, we assume that the decay rate remained constant. We assume that the decay rate remained constant. And we don't know that. This is what's called in science uniformitarianism, that the present is key to the past, that what the processes we see happening in the world today have been happening in a steady way since the beginning of time. Well, again, in our understanding of Earth history, we know that there was a huge event, the flood. And the flood not only affected the Earth, the flood probably affected the atmosphere. It could be the reason there were long ages of, of life uh, prior to uh, prior to the flood. As a matter of fact, my friend who does the work with the soybeans here, he has a hypothesis that there was something that happened in the atmosphere that affected the amount of carbon-14 that was coming into living organisms prior to the flood, and this is why people were able to live long lives back in those days. And after the flood, as lives, lifespans dropped dramatically, it was related to the atmosphere, the amount of uh, radioactive and uh, uh, ultraviolet light that was coming into the atmosphere affects the amount of carbon-14 and so on. This is how we got the, the, the dates that were so different for this, is he'd raised them in a greenhouse with a different atmosphere than what, or different uh, environment and atmosphere than what would have what we have now if you raise them out in the field. In what he believed may have been more reflective of what was happening um, uh, prior to the flood of Noah. What's all this say? Can we know? I would say we can't. These assumptions are not just small things. They're not totally irrelevant assumptions, but you can't know. That's the point. You can't know. And somehow we're told that you can know the age of these things, and people, uh, they, they write off the Bible, they write off the accounts of the Bible as if the Bible just simply is not true, when in reality, they don't deal honestly, just like the presentation I had where the, prof the professor spoke so confidently about these ages, and then admitted privately, it's unreliable. Was he aware of these, these assumptions? Maybe so, but he sure didn't share them in our presentation, nor did he tell us why he thought dating methods were unreliable um, uh, himself. This is why creationists doubt these dating methods uh, greatly. You know, I mentioned, um, I mentioned about the Rock of Ages, excuse me, the Age of Rocks, and back in the uh, Scopes Monkey trial in the early 1900s, William Jennings Bryan was defending the, the teaching of creation and the belief in creation against the teaching of evolution. Now, Bryan was a politician. He wasn't a scientist. He's a politician. And the reason he was arguing in favor of creation and against evolution was because evolutionary ideas were being used to, by the, the wealthy oligarchs to oppress uh, the working class people. And his political constituency was the, the lower class people. And he saw how evolution was being used against them to say, evolution teaches you should be poor and oppressed. He was against that, and so he defended it. On the trial, when he was asked about the age of a rock and how, it was, how, uh, how, how the Bible fit with these old-aged rocks that we know are so old, this was before we had really challenged it like with information we have today, he said, well, I'm more interested in the rock of ages than the age of rocks. Now he got he got a uh, the the local folks got a kick out of that his political constituents got a kick out of that you might might get a kick out of that 
but he was mocked and ridiculed in the press as someone who didn't want to think honestly about science. And so I'm going to say this with care myself. I, too, am more interested in the rock of ages than the age of rocks. But I've told you why I doubt these ages for rocks. I didn't just ignore it. And if you want to do more, there's tremendous answers, uh, tremendous websites. I might even recommend genesisapologetics.com, answersingenesis.org, icr.org. I'll leave some of these websites in the, uh, in the description below if you want to do further research on this. There's plenty of information out there to, to cast serious doubt as to these ages that are so flippantly thrown out as if they are actually true and not even to be questioned. But let me say this. I am more interested in the Rock of Ages, in Jesus Christ. He is the one we stand upon. People who embrace the, the who embrace these ideas that undermine the scripture and undermine the confidence of the scripture, it's not long before their spiritual life dries up and it begins to show itself in ways they activities, behavior, relationship breakdowns they never thought would have been possible, including a breakdown of their love for God. My friends, as we've been talking about all of this, I, I hope I've given you enough information to say we can have confidence in Genesis. And that that the confident assertions given by evolutionists that discredit the Bible aren't really so confident. They shouldn't be so confident after all. It is their belief. It is their idea. It's their worldview. Is it rock-solid, observable science? Not even close. Is it their opinion? Is it their model, the worldview? Yes. Is it based on some knowledge? Of course. Is it authoritatively true? No. Don't let it shake your faith. In, our, in the Bible, or in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we bless you today as the creator of all, and we do believe that you are the creator of all. And Father, I just affirm to you that I believe you made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, everything that walks on earth. You made it just as described in the book of Genesis. I believe it's historical and true, and I put my faith in your word. I put my faith in what you have given us. And our faith is in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He's our Lord. He's, he's the one who gave himself for us. Jesus, we believe that you are God incarnate. You walked the earth. The, the Word became flesh. The Creator of all became one of us. And you demonstrated your great love for us by doing so. Thank you. You came near to us. You walked with us. You experienced every temptation. And yet you never sinned. And yet you offered yourself as an offering for our sin. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus Christ. We love you, Holy Spirit, the triune God. We bless you with all of our heart. Today, it's our deep desire to please you, to walk with you, to trust you. Our confidence and our faith is in you. We bless you today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. You know, I've been, uh, tomorrow's going to be on my last day on this series, I believe. If you have questions, leave them in the uh, description below so I can answer them tomorrow. We'll just have some question answer time and some of the things that I get asked. But it, it grieves me to know that some people have, their faith has been damaged because of what's taught about origins and about Genesis and about evolution. And I hope that we've answered some of your questions. But if, if, if they're still unanswered, I want to encourage you. You can research. There's these websites I'll mention below. 
But maybe even better is to just step back a little bit and say, remind yourself what you do know. You do know you're a sinner. You do know God loves you. You do know Jesus died for your sins. You do know he rose from the dead. Don't let what you don't understand keep you from believing what you do understand. Sometimes we just need to step back from these confusing issues and instead say, what do I know? Excuse me. And what I know is where I want to focus my faith and let my faith grow, especially if these other controversial things are causing your faith to become weak. Okay? Now, another thing you can do is get in the Word of God every day. That's why we're here every day. And we do come here and we get in the Word every day. We believe it's important. And and we've got an onslaught of reasons not to believe coming into our life. If you're only getting one sermon a week, 30 minutes or so, it's not going to cut it. You need more than that if you want to be a strong Christian. So I hope you come and join us every day. If you're new, subscribe, hit the notify button, tell your friends, like the video, leave a comment, join our community, make a commitment. Not just when you feel like it, but be here day by day by day. You'll begin to notice some changes in your life. It won't take long. A few weeks, you'll begin to see God's working in your life because His Word is like that. So until we meet tomorrow, might God bless you, strengthen you. Note I love you. God loves you too. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. God bless you. Bye-bye.